Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches. Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views. That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our interview with co-founder and chief marketing officer of Lux AI, Ida. Sometimes we need something or we have a problem. And for example, we are not so clear about what to do with that. But then when we go back to the resources from London Business School, we learn that they already taught us about this problem. They already discussed about this problem. But in that time, we are not ready to understand what is the application of what they are teaching to us. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, when you think about the future of this space, I mean, it seems like this uh, the the QT robot that you've got here is got to have so many applications. I mean, you, you're making such progress in the autism, but it seems like for entertainment purposes or, or other applications, it, it seems like it would be interesting as well. Have you thought of, are, are there other areas that are kind of interest that you've been working on? Uh, yeah, basically like how we see QT is um, as a platform, you know, rather than a robot, which is specifically built for one domain. So how we see it is that exactly as the way that uh, you have like person and uh, personal computers and then after that everybody is using this computer for a different purpose. You know, somebody studies with that, somebody uh, works with that. I think like the robot in, in general, the social robots have the same concept. So basically their use case is not really remitted to one particular thing, but they are platforms that they can be adjusted to different uh, scenarios. So what we have done so far beside using QT for children with autism is that we have also used it for children with other type of developmental disorders in a sense that we had children with we had children with uh, Down syndrome, we had children with CP and also other kind of like learning difficulties that they equally benefit from the robot. As well as uh, we have also done some uh, pilots in uh, geriatric medicine and elderly care. So we used the robot for post-stroke rehabilitation and also for cognitive therapy for um, old uh, people who are more prone to having, for example, like dementia and Alzheimer, and the robot is going to stimulate their memories to have like more interactive works during the day and hopefully either reduce the speed or uh, postpone uh, the this kind of like medical situations. Yeah. Well, um, besides being co-founder, you're listed as the the CMO, and I just realized that might be chief medical officer instead of chief marketing officer. Which CMO <laughs> is that supposed to be? Actually, I'm doing the both, so both <laughs> of them make sense, yeah. Both, okay. Well, let's talk about the marketing for a minute. Um, 
you know, you, you've got something that the market is really responding well to with this social robot. And again, if anybody hasn't been to the website, it's luxai.com. But um, when you think about growing the organization and, and expanding uh, the appetite, people who want to purchase it, what are kind of the main strategies that you're pursuing? You know, for us, um, it, the most important thing is that like when you have a product which is extremely new and uh, there is not a lot of like experience in the market on that, basically like the first marketing approach is to actually try to educate people about what are the added values of such a solution and how it can impact the way that they are working. So it's more than like doing marketing, it's uh, I see it as like a communication to actually be able to articulate what are the added values and what people should expect from it, you know? Because when you have a product in the market that people already have some experience with a similar uh, product, the marketing would be easier because you can somehow compare it with the existing solution and say it's basically similar thing, but it does this better, faster or cheaper. But then in our case, it's more about like educating the market about the added values of the robot. And we think that if we can articulate it properly and if we can really like show them these added values, then the marketing would be easy because actually it's a big problem. You know, we are talking about um, some kind of a disorder which affects like one in 59 children and now I think like all, a lot of people are really aware about what is autism and what is the impact of like, for example, not giving proper therapies and proper equipments to the children in the future of uh, like uh, the whole world. And I think it's more about like being able to communicate it with people and you already see that the demand and the awareness about like the whole thing is already there. So you have to show them that, okay, I can, and we can actually help them to improve the situation. You know, um, we, we named our company Myelin after the myelin sheath in the brain. And, yes. you know, a lot of our work, our corporate training and consulting work is about helping folks do enough meaningful repetitions to actually have skill acquisition, you know, and yes. usually it's, you know, CEOs or, you know, we train a lot of folks in special operations in the military or salespeople or different folks. Um, What's interesting to me is uh, just knowing, you know, knowing the mothers of autistic children, um, I can see how something like this would have such an advantage of, you know, dad's at work, mom has so much to do, and having, having the kid have all those extra hours of social interaction and, like, the chance to grow more myelin, you know, to, for that yeah. further skill acquisition, it's, it almost feels like a, a, a real duplication of efforts of helping, helping the kids get more and more meaningful repetitions. Is that a, am I thinking about it right or is there a different application? Yes, 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 yes. Basically, like, you know, autism is not something that just affects the child. But how I feel is that it really, like, affects the whole family and as a consequence, like, the whole society, you know, because you know, like the people who have children, they already know that how difficult it is to actually like take care of everything about uh, children. But of course, when you have a child which needs extra effort, extra attention, uh, you know, this all of these extra hours, it makes it really difficult for the parents. And about autism, there is something in particular that, you know, we do not have enough um, 
capacities in the healthcare system to actually support all of these children. You know, the best practices in autism therapy tells us that the children, if we want to really make a difference in their life, they need 30 to 40 hours of therapy per week, which is equal to having like one therapist per child. Yeah. And then imagine that the parents want to do the best for their children, but they cannot have access to all the necessary therapies that the children need. So it, it makes like a very sad impact on them that they are trying their best to help their children, but they don't know where to start, where to go. And of course, financially, it's like a big burden to be able to afford all of these therapy hours. So the situation for the families are usually like very complicated and it really like affect how they live their life and then how they can actually handle the other uh, topics in their uh, life, basically. Well, and the form factor that you guys have picked, we talked in the first episode about, you know, how it looks and feels like a toy and it's very kind of magnetic because it, it does have this emotional response. Like one of our fam one of our friends that we're really close to, um, she's a, she's a single mom and she's at work all day. And, you know, the people who are taking care of her son probably are not as invested in his, interest as she is <laughs> probably nobody is <laughs> right but oh, of course that but if those answer. if those caretakers had you know had one of these qt robots you know that could be all those additional hours while she's at work right yes basically like um how we see that qt can be effective is that qt is uh, programmable basically by everyone so our major effort on building the robot was to actually make it so easy to program that non-IT expert, for example, like doctors, therapists, educators can actually create content on the robot. And then by having this standard content on the robot, the replication of these sessions would be very easy, you know? So then you can actually like um, improve the access for the children, which means they would have like more therapy hours. And then as a result of this more therapy hours, they can improve faster in uh, in the way that they actually like uh, do their communication and like they uh, it really impacts their social behaviors but in the same time we already know based on the research that we have done in the university of luxembourg that the robot also improves the engagement and attention of the children which translates to learning uh, more in every single session so we can imp increase the number of the sessions by having the robot and also we can improve the quality of each session which all in all we hope that it will contribute in improving the situation of the children faster so like the parents and the therapists can see like much better results in a shorter time which hopefully can lead them to a better follow-ups with the children. I love it. It's, it's got to be such a fun business to build to feel like you're making people's lives better. And we hope that it, you know, like we hope that we can actually like make it happen in a sense that having a robot is, um, is becoming like very easy for every parent and every therapist and it becomes so accessible and affordable that people can really have it and then use it and then hopefully um, have benefits from using it. No kidding. Well, let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and then I want to ask you some more about uh, the London Business School. So just before the break, I was, I was saying that I wanted to hear more about the London Business School. Um, it seems like you have 
really a value in learning from other people's experiences and networking and hearing from mentors. Um, can you can you talk about maybe an experience or a mentor you learned from um, at the business school that that really changed your perspective or that you feel like you've you've relied on their advice a lot as time has gone on? So all in all, it was like a very great experience for us, and it, it's it's really funny because like now sometimes we need something or we have a problem, and for example, we are not so clear about what to do with that. But then when we go back to the resources from London Business School, we learn that they already taught us about this problem. They already discussed about this problem, but in that time we are not ready to understand what is the application of what they are teaching to us. So I, I see it as a very comprehensive uh, course, but in the same time, their approach is really interesting, especially when it comes to the earlier stages of a, a, a startup company. They have a very nice approach to actually understand what kind of business models are viable and what are not, and basically like why this happens. So they have a very good uh, analytic tools that you can use to actually understand what is uh, the biggest barriers for you to actually access the market. What are the barriers that, uh, for example, you will have in development of your solution yeah, do you, as well as- Do you as, remember yeah. any of those? Do you remember yes. any of those when you were going through? Oh, I'd love to hear yes. specifics. Yes, yes. So we are having like a, a very clear approach on analyzing like different business ideas to actually understand, for example, when you want to implement a new technology or a solution or anything in a new market, what would be probably the barriers that you have to deal with them? And then when you can actually like create a list of these barriers and create a list of these probable problems that you will have in the future, it really like supports you to allocate your resources in a way that you can de-risk your business, you know, because at the end of the day, every startup is risky, but it's really important to be able to know what are your risks and how you can address them in order to de-risk the project and the uh, company to actually make it, for example, interesting for, for example, like external investors who want to come uh, to the company. And also, for example, like in, in terms of like competitive advantages, a lot of times it's not clear for uh, all the businesses that what exactly is their competitive advantage and how they can actually use this competitive advantage to gain a better um, visibility in the market and be better, actually bigger chunk of the market. And it, this kind of approach to analyze the project really actually help, especially at the beginning, because at the beginning, it's very different because you have like an idea and you don't have any kind of like market validation on top of it. So being able to step-by-step step analyze it and also go through a very deep market research even before starting the company or the development itself, it really clears your mind and supports you to actually like, you know, like know what you should expect and what you should like somehow like prepare yourself for. Yeah. Do you remember any of the things you wrote on your list? Yeah. For example, like um, from the beginning, we knew that we are working in the for example, like education and somehow like healthcare medical world. So it, it's clear that, for example, in this world, you know that one of the first barriers is that this is like a very well-structured uh, market, 
and environment. So putting your product in these markets and convincing people to actually get out of this very well-structured manner of working and adapting like a totally new approach, it would be a barrier and it would not be like as fast as you see in a lot of like other companies which are doing something related to entertainment or you know other other type of markets but in the same time it's in the same time it's also valuable because you know when it's difficult to actually enter to a market it's difficult for all the companies so if you be able to actually go to the market and get a market share it all already puts you ahead of a lot of you know it it puts you a little bit beyond the reach of the competitors because the market entry is difficult for everybody and somebody who is already in the market and past these barriers have like a way better uh, future comparing to the people who are actually dealing with the barriers yeah so thinking about that, you know, a mature market that obviously has a lot of regulatory issues or, or you know, highly regulated, highly regulated and mature market. What, what yes. were some of the strategies? What were the what did you guys, you know, once you're recognizing it and you're thinking more about that um, or, or what advice do you have for the rest of us? If if we were looking at a mature market that's highly mm -hmm. regulated. So, for example, like in our case, the approach that uh, we thought it's it's very important, not only because the market is regulated and you have a lot of, you know, like a standardization and everything, but also to actually motivate people to know the added values of the robot was to have like a very uh, robust scientific approach to it. You know, when you want to promote something as uh, in, in the market of the healthcare, you have to be able to prove by doing research that uh, the solution is effective. You know, uh, to sell something to hospitals and centers for children, you cannot just claim, you have to be able to show it that, okay, we have done this study and this is the result and this is the impact that it's going to have. They expect you to have this kind of like validations and it, in the healthcare market, it doesn't work with just claims, but you have to actually show them a scientific proof that what you are doing is the result of a lot of experience and now you're confident that it's it's going to be effective. And we think that this approach really helped us a lot, not only to actually like convince the healthcare, prof convince the healthcare professionals about the robot, but also we thought this is our responsibility because we are thinking about like the the impact of the robot. So for us, it's not just about like commercialization of the robot, but we want to commercialize something that we are confident that this is not just about like a business, but it's about like changing something and making a difference. So I think like this having this um, some kind of a more scientific approach to it um, really make a difference for us. Yeah. So, what what form did that take? This this you know scientific approach and and showing them the proof. Is this white papers? Is it reports? Is it videos? What what did that look like for you guys? Basically, it includes everything. So, uh, one of the very important things is to actually be able to publish some uh, results from like the experience, scientific experience uh, experiments which has been done by the robot. Uh, which is really valuable, but in the same time, I really believe that the market of the healthcare and education is really built on the trust of like and uh, some kind of like a peer to peer recommendation. 
So also one of the things that we did beside the experiments in the University of Luxembourg was to actually try to create like case studies and reports and uh, collect a lot of data from the autism centers which are working with the robot to actually show the end users that not only it works in a scientific manner, but your peers and uh, your colleagues also found it effective. So it's not just related to some uh, scientific study, which cannot be, for example, exactly replicated in every autism centers, but the peers and the users really find added value in using such a solution. So for us, it includes like scientific studies, clinical trials, as well as case studies in the real autism centers, and also showing uh, videos and interaction of the children to the other people because when they see the interaction of the children they really easily can uh, you know analyze this interaction and they can really see what the robot has done for the child i love it well um as we wrap up here is there what what's what's one thing you'd like to end with is there something you're passionate about or a piece of advice you'd want to give or something about your project that you'd want to to end with here so, uh, you know, for me, as I said, like the both side of the, the whole thing, which one side is like entrepreneurship and one side is actually like development of a totally new solution is really interesting. And I really like enjoyed these three years that I was working on this project. And for me, it's a lot of times I see that people have like in very interesting ideas. They have a deep knowledge about the field that they are working with and they can really have a very interesting and like game-changing idea but at the end of the day it's about like daring so in my opinion like spending this time and going through all of this there is no harm on it so I really think that if somebody has an idea if somebody has an opportunity they have to just take it and try it because you never know. Maybe you start something and it fails in like six months, one year. But in the same time, it can become successful. And for me, it's it's all about like having this passion and daring to actually try what you have. Because at the end of the day, if you don't try, you never know it's going to be successful or not. Sometimes you have like very crazy ideas like what we have about like building a robot from scratch with the hardware, software, curriculums, applications, and everything. But at the end of the day, when you try, it's worthy of trying. So basically I, what I want to say is that, like, you know, like when you have an interesting idea, you have to follow it. I love it. <laughs> That's a great ending. Thanks for that. <laughs> okay, everybody. Uh, Thank you. L-U-X-A-I.com. Go, go check out what, uh, what Ida's built. Thanks again for making time for us, Ida. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. You bet. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He's former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run, and it just puts so much power in the hands of, 
of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.